Welcome to Neo Tokyo 2019. I'm number 69. A nice. Matisse Van Rossum. I am Tetsuo! <laughs> Canada! <laughs> Tetsuo! Cleveland! <laughs> That's me, Cleveland. Uh, I'm here and having a great time. Yeah, and I'm Ben, and yeah, we're going to talk about Akira. Yes, we are. This was one of Cleveland's picks. Um, surprise, surprise. Yeah, <laughs> diving into the world of animated horror, sci-fi horror. Cleveland, talk a little bit about Akira and why you were drawn to it and why you wanted to talk about it on the show. Most definitely. Well, all right, so Akira is directed by acclaimed artist Katsuhiro Otomo. And it is set in the distant future of 2019. <laughs> <laughs> no shit. <laughs> uh, the distant year of 2019. Post the events of World War III, uh, where there was some sort of uh, mysterious uh, detonation uh, in the center of Tokyo. Decades later, the city has been rebuilt into Neo-Tokyo. And we get our wonderful set piece of uh, cyberpunk delight. It's the, the sort of the standard fare, like New oh, yeah. Tokyo backdrop. I say standard fare, but it's 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 gorgeous and illustrious. Um, one of the the hallmarks of this film is its uh, attention to detail. Um, visually, uh, there are there's just shot after shot of high high detailed backgrounds that are usually only up on the screen for a second or so, and they're all fully illustrated. The film centers around. Kaneda, who is a young punk who's uh, out and about and looking for trouble, and his friend Tetsuo, who is picked up by a secret, secretive government organization and tested upon and made to be a powerful psychic. Uh, and as we slowly learn the events, uh, or the, all the connotation around who and what Akira is, about, I think, sums up the, the general plot. Yeah, right? yeah. Like, it's uh, based on the uh, serialized graphic novel of the same name uh, by the same artist, um, which I just read uh, in preparation for this episode. Um, one of the things that I'm particularly impressed by this movie is how different it is from the graphic novel, but how well it still captures the same themes and ideas broadly. Because the graphic novel is like 39 issues or something like that. Massive. Like 80 pages a piece. Like, it's long. It's an epic. And uh, this movie is two hours long. And uh, it's narratively extremely different. I had seen Akira before in college. was my first exposure to it. And then uh, reading the graphic novel and seeing, like, just how wildly different it was... Um, was a big surprise to me, and all, and honestly, like big props to uh, Katsuhiro Otomo to like be able to adapt this in such a way where it feels like a, a true adaptation of the story, but is narratively so so different. Oh yeah, I think part of the reason why it it works so well, kind of getting these same ideas as the graphic novels, is because it. You know, it's also written and directed by Otomo. Right. And, like, he had strict creative control over it, which Always really helps. helps. Always yeah. helps. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's really uh, an excellent film. We, we watched the new Blu-ray version, and I was just blown away by how incredible it looked. Man, like, you could really sit in theaters today, you know, and it'd still blow people's minds. It's 
so yeah it's nuts like i i always saw like the dvd version before you know which still looks fine but like man the fidelity on the on the blu-ray is just like incredible oh yeah all the the, attention to detail all the tracers and glowing lights on the motorcycles and uh all the 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 special effects from the psychics yeah it's great high detail every time a wall or something is destroyed or something crumbles you just get to see all that really tight animation of all the little cracking falling rocks and there's a lot of that in this yeah. movie well one of the interesting things i read is uh at the time this was the most expensive anime production of all time sure you i know? believe it sure. yeah. and, well this came uh, out this came out in 88 so it was even in like the early days of studio ghibli you know which has become sort of like the titan of of japanese uh, animated films but i i believe the fuck out of this being really expensive like yeah. the the detail of the animation it must have taken forever i can't imagine like how many animators were working on this at any given time oh yeah it's insane that goes for the the graphic novel series as well which yeah, you're not kidding. It's it's massive. It takes it's up long, yeah. it takes up half my bookshelf. It's over yeah, it's over a thousand pages. I mean, just in in like a single panel, not even on a page, but just in like a, a small like quadrant panel. Uh you'll see the the window sills like like fully worked up in the background a block away in in some of those some of those sequences. Like it's 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 nuts. It's yeah. it's just it's just unfathomable how one person did so much of, of those illustrations. What a productive guy. <laughs> yeah, no head. kidding. And I mean it's it's really also, you know, one of the major benchmarks of like the cyberpunk subgenre like this along with Blade Runner are probably the two biggest um benchmarks of that, you know, from the same decade as well, not that many years separated. Yeah, it's it's like that and neuromancer and you've about covered all the big ones and was neuromancer even adapted into a visual medium is just a novel no. isn't it? Yeah, yeah i, I didn't guess, think so yeah i don't think it was ever adapted so yeah in terms of in terms of like visual mediums i mean obviously akira is a graphic novel first and foremost but blade runner and akira are like the the two big ones that we i think we owe for a lot of uh what science fiction looks like today Man, you can see why it still holds up so well. It's been years since I've seen Akira, and I was just, you know, watching, and I was like, man, this is still so good. It yeah, still yeah. it still holds up so well. I could watch it every day. Yeah, We should mention that we were, watched the uh, 2001 dub. There's a couple of different versions out there. You know, you have the classic Japanese version, which is quite good. Um, the, uh, the original English dub, which is not good. Not I think good. that was yeah. the Very one bad. that I had seen before this one. Same. Yeah. That's... And yeah, the, the 2001 dub is really good. Yeah. Yeah. I was blown away by it. I, I had seen, I've seen this movie like five or six times at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and the first few times I saw it with the original English dub. And I was not as blown away by the movie. I think mostly yeah. just because of the dub just kind of ruins the, the vibe of the movie. But That's why I'm generally a proponent of subs over dubs, depending on on the dub. That's a whole, you yeah. know. I, it, I'm always so torn because, uh, I mean, first off, like, uh, I'm usually I'm not generally I'm not that torn actually like it's usually like okay subs of course I want to I want to get that I would just just finish the series in subs but for this film it's just so 
highly rendered that I just I just want to spend all of my visual power looking at looking all at, of yeah, the art. I definitely agree. It's just yeah. so vivid, and like I have no problem doing both. And I can read and do that, but it's you know, just, it's, there's so much to see. The the story of this film is pretty complex, you know, and like it's, being able to understand it when it's spoken helps that a little bit i think you know you're still getting it when you're yeah. reading it but like some of the contextual stuff of how things are said um is a little easier to pick up on i thought the 2001 dub was incredible i love the music of this movie too oh yeah, yeah the, soundtrack. the score Great. is incredible it's very uh steve reich inspired yeah it is i i i agree like a lot of it sounds like steve reich to the extent that i'm that i was surprised that it was not just a Steve Reich score, but, uh, I mean, it makes sense at the time in the eighties, like he would have been uh, an extremely influential musical figure. Yeah. Um, the, the music, it goes a long way to like really setting the tone for this movie. It's really like, it's bizarre though. It's not, it's not something a score that you would expect to hear. In no, a movie like it this. doesn't feel like it, it's definitely not your standard fare like cyberpunk score. It's not as synth heavy as you would expect. Yeah. There are a few like synth sequences in it, but for the most part, it's like it's choral. It's it's choral mm. and it's uh, percussion heavy. Yeah, like, there's a lot of like marimba and stuff like that, which is what makes yeah, me think of, of Steve Reich. You know. Yeah. But at the same time, like it it does still feel like very Japanese, which I think is is uh, is good for the film since oh, it obviously yeah. is a Japanese film well, that takes place in Neo Tokyo. One of my favorite examples of that is during the the beginning of the film when um, Kaneda and his mates go out for a ride and they go out for that joy ride in the city. It, it, you get those beautiful like shots of Neo Tokyo at night panning up and down uh, all the, the, the varied colors, like, like dappling the sky and their, their motorbikes with their tracers and they're, they're going out to ride and it's playing like almost like a, like, um, uh, like a marimba rhythm that's yeah. like it's very um like safari esque like it's it like it sounds like something in a way that, like, yeah you'd be going out for a hunt on and I love that comparative it's like they're 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 in, they're just in a concrete jungle and they're you know just young warriors going out for you know out for their out for a hunt out they're for going a out ride. they're going out for a rumble with uh, another biker gang that's right <laughs> that's the right. clowns mm-hmm. yeah it, it's really interesting how much the the music kind of informs the the tone of a lot of these scenes i saw this movie a month or two ago live with some live music played with it and the person who did it was did a really great job is all like modular synth was it very, one was it one dude? yeah it was one dude really dark synth stuff really cool kind of weirder synthier arpeggiated stuff but it gave the movie so much of a different vibe than it has I believe now it. and, it and that of, was you were watching that one in in the original japanese yeah too, right mm-hmm yeah, that's cool. So. It's it's crazy how much uh, just like a, a different score and also like a different language can influence the tone of a film. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I, uh, I was, I was a little on the fence about watching the English dub because I, you know, for, for the sake of purity to talk about on the show, I, I wanted to see it in the, in the original Japanese, but honestly, like the, this dub was so good. Like I, I didn't have a problem with it at all, especially because beforehand we watched that side by side video of the, of the 91 English dub and the 2001 English dub and holy shit, the difference is <laughs> staggering <laughs> that the the original english dub is just so bad it's so trash it's rough it's like the actors don't have any idea of like how to inflect like a human being mm-hmm. it's like what what are you doing it's like they're trying to it's like they're trying to do japanese inflections with english which just doesn't work the same way that you can't speak japanese with english inflection yeah, they're more trying to reflect the uh, the inflection rather than like the actual intent behind right, that. Right, exactly. Yeah, it, it's and a it, it's it a mess. With yeah, it. they're just reading lines. Like it's it's not good. So yeah, I guess to get like more in depth, the young gang they go out for a biker ride in tandem. You we we're, we bear witness to this young this this child who's uh, is on the run with a with an older gentleman. Um, we see a tighter cut, and it's not a child, or it is a child, but they look like an old person. Yeah, that's really the the weird, weird Akira thing. The the psychic kids that look like old people. people. They're being chased by the the military. The guy looking after the kid is shot to death, viscerally too. I mean, the 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 blood effects are insane. It's been a long time. I'd forgotten like, it's like how fully like shot how by a really firing violent squad. and graphic yeah. Akira is. Oh, it's incredible. Yeah, it's yeah. a very violent movie. And it's always done like like the violence is so well uh, and powerfully portrayed in this film. Yeah, every time it's with such a strong degree of intent. Which you know, like watching so much modern anime that's so often like really like shown and jumpy and cartoony, where violence is is cartoonified and very meaningless and just thrown thrown Hyper- out regularly. Hyperbolic too. Yeah, yeah, that in this case, like the the violence has just such a strong impact. So the guy is just shot by an entire firing squad of of people, like, and he's already like prone at that point, and so uh, he's just ragdolled. The weird old psychic boy starts screaming, and he lets out this sort of banshee wail that breaks a lot of lights and stuff, and he runs off. Well, what I love about that is it's more than just that, because you would expect in a normal anime or something, any kind of story like this, like, it would just shatter the glass, and then it would cut, and it's like, ah, he's psychic or whatever. But, like, we see the aftermath of that, like, with signs and stuff falling off the yeah, building. Yeah, there's, like, like that big, like, glass water tower showering thing. down on people. Like, we really We're... see, like, the destruction caused by something so simple. Right, which is insane, yeah. too. Like, we see entire, like, massive, like, giga skyscrapers, like, with their, with, like, all their windows shattering, and, like, all of the glass descending, and it's just beautifully illustrated, like, transparent glass as it's falling over this large crowd. Nuts. Just what a technical feat. Like, and that's that's every shot in this film. It's it's a it's it's a technical piece of majesty. It's I visual feel. artist wet dream, <laughs> which is me. So yeah, I'm right. just this whole podcast is just gonna be going la oh, so the good. whole time. Uh, so forgive me, but movie look good. Mo- uh... Movie look movie look real good. <laughs> <laughs> so you are, you already know what I'm gonna rate it. But uh, <laughs> after that, the kid escapes. A cut back to. Uh, uh, Canada's biker gang fighting the clowns, which are great. They're not overbaked. Like they just have like the clown like faces on their helmets. 
They're uh, in in the graphic novel. They're very overbaked, <laughs> and I love them for that. That is in one the of the things novel. that I'm glad they cut down on a little bit. Yeah, the clown the clown leader like in the graphic novel is a delight though. Like I love I love like how they they have to become like fast friends by the end. Yeah. Um, uh, he's he's a fun character, but it is weird that he's wearing clown makeup the whole time. But he's great. Uh, His name is Joker. Oh yeah, yeah, yes, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so they're biking along, and the 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 little boy appears, and I think it's it's Tetsuo, right, yeah. who runs into him, yeah. uh, Kaneda's uh, younger friend, and he slams into a force field and is ejected off of his motorcycle, and then the government shows up, they take the boy away, and and they take Tetsuo too, and they take Tetsuo as well. Well, what, what, I, what key sequences do we need to? I, I think pick from? I think that's a good a good exam um, a good segue into talking a little bit about Tetsuo and Kaneda's relationship, yeah. which is uh, a very central aspect of the film um, because, like, the impetus for that scene where Tetsuo crashes is because of you know, sort of his dynamic with Kaneda. Kaneda is, like, the leader of the gang, you know? Um, and we see through flashbacks throughout the film that, like, Tetsuo and Kaneda have been friends, like, since they were little. They're both orphans, you know, they're brought up. The the whole gang is brought up and has to go to this uh, sort of, like, truant academy uh, trade school, you know? So they're, um, you know, they're, they're ruffians, they're... Uh, kids who don't have like good adult role models um but you know you see that because they you know they came up together as friends having Kaneda kind of take this uh position of status above Tetsuo you know is something that like really rankles with Tetsuo we which we see a lot in the film uh and especially at the beginning the reason he's out front and Rex is because you know he's trying to beat Kaneda, mm -hmm. you know, he's trying to go faster than him, and Kaneda mm -hmm. has this, like, fancy new bike, so it's, like, that that competition for, like, Tetsuo always feeling like he has to prove himself that to he's his... under Kaneda's shadow. Right, exactly, is, is you know, the impetus of this, and, you know, that, that crash awakens his incredibly powerful, like, latent psychic ability, and so then a lot of the, the entire movie is, like, about that reversal of role where... You know, a lot of what Tetsuo is doing, why he sort of becomes a villain is because, you know, he's powerful enough to do so. He's he's uh, he's finally surpassed Kaneda, but not just Kaneda. He's surpassed humanity, mm -hmm. um, which I, I think is I think is really great. It makes it makes for uh, a super interesting dynamic between the protagonist and the antagonist too because then you know Kaneda feels like it's his responsibility to stop Tetsuo mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. you know Tetsuo is his responsibility he's like a brother to him but also like he's a member of his gang oh yeah and one of the things that this uh both both the film and the graphic novel do exceptionally well is portray Tetsuo and Kaneda as rebellious youths yeah. like god Kaneda's a little shit like, oh yeah, he, he is no, he such sucks. a little shit. <laughs> He's yeah. the worst He's person. Terrible. He he does a he does a number of things in this film that are just not likable. At no, all. they all suck. They're and, all they're all just absolute little truant shitheads. Yeah, and they would be like, oh, and, and it fits the world so absolutely. well. Like they don't try to idealize that. Like Otomo doesn't try to like make you just want to be. Uh, Tetsuo or Kaneda, like, they are the protagonist characters and the film cycles around them, but they exist very much so as commentary over youth. And so when T 
Tetsuo starts achieving these godlike abilities, it's relatively terrifying because he's a kid. Yeah. Like, he shouldn't have that kind of power, period. Like, an adult couldn't handle that kind of power, let alone, like, this, like, 15-year-old boy. And, yeah, children tend to, especially teenagers, tend to uh, have an underdeveloped sense of empathy as well. Mm, yes. So it's it's easier and more understandable for, for like, uh, a kid to commit, like, acts of like truly horrific violence because they they have yet to really like make the the connection with like what human like the value of human life the value of life in general now one question i have for you guys is uh one of my only minor flaws in reading this movie is uh when tetsuo really uh realizes he has powers it it's very abrupt in how he goes from, like, yeah. no powers to full-on powers. There's no discovery in any I, way. I agree. I, that's something that is uh, is lost between the graphic novel and the film. And some of that is, is just time, you know, constraints. Yeah. But oh, yeah. it's, it is, I, I agree with you. It's, it's a little bit of a gripe I have with it, too. It's very minor, and I think it's necessary just because you have to have him, you know, go from being nothing to being essentially a god in a very brief span of time. And they're already, like, cutting down such a massive story into like really the the key components um so some of that stuff just gets lost by the wayside i agree it would it it would have been a little bit more interesting to see the the development of that like in the graphic novel a big so much of it a big thing is that like the government is like making these drugs that like was it good for health bad for education is that like what like the, that. The, the thing says yeah um that suppress people's like psychic abilities and like a big thing with tetsuo is that like as his powers are developing like it's really painful like he's just like constantly having these horrible headaches and stuff so he has to just like keep finding these drugs and just like eating them by the handful to keep himself from going crazy it's so cool and then like halfway through through the run, uh, a character tells him, like, the the drugs are, you're powerful, but the drugs are, like, suppressing your abilities. If you can cut, you know, if you can go off of them, if you can cut yourself off, and, like, you make it through the pain of withdrawal, then you will, like untap power that you can't even imagine and that's like and it's cool too because he's got that whole gang around him at the time so the power dynamic and like the politics of it are are awesome because like that's uh which actually brings up a good point like the one of the the largest differentials between uh the graphic novel and the film is that halfway through the story and the graphic novel less than less than halfway yeah um there is, like, a massive detonation, and the city is sent into, um, like, a... Uh, a post-apocalyptic... A, po- po- a post-apocalyptic yeah. scenario. And, like, you have all these, like, these youths who... And, uh, and well, survivors. these different these different factions vying for control oh, yeah. of, like, the remnants of the city. In this, like, Mad Max, like, wasteland that was Neo-Tokyo. Yeah. So, like, the majority of the film, like... Or the majority of the, the graphic novel takes place in, like, a post-apocalyptic setting instead of Neo-Tokyo... Whereas the film itself takes place entirely in Neo Tokyo. Um, well, the, yeah, the film ends with, with. that detonation, but at, well, that was one of the things that I found interesting that I like is that they are able to make that that detonation be still a conclusion, a satisfying conclusion to the film, 
whereas in the graphic novel the that detonation is the setup for just like the next chapter mm-hmm. whereas they're able to take the same event and and recontextualize it in a, in a way that I really like. Yeah, and it's it's cool because like they both they both provide good points of commentary. But the film the film does a good job of like wrapping up the emotional arc, uh, and and the the thematic arc like by the end of the detonation. Whereas in the film or whereas in the graphic novel, the detonation sort of represents the point where the adults are no longer in charge. And I mean, and that's somewhat you know, in the cool. in in the post apocalyptic world. You know, it's there are still plenty of adults, you know, doing things and, you know, making decisions. You've got your different factions. Yeah, but, like, but like it's, one the, of the power one, has been put in the hands of the rebels. It's no, it's yeah. no longer, like, the government well, the, no longer the, has the power. That's, that's the, the big, uh, the big distinction is that the government no longer has the power. Yeah. Um, in the lead up to that explosion, you know, there is the, the, the coup where the general or the, the colonel, um, you know, basically seizes control of the government because he realize he recognizes what a threat Tetsuo is, um, and what will happen if he awakens Akira. You know that that exists in the the graphic novel too. But like after the detonation, it's like the colonel just becomes like a man. He just becomes a part of the the, the resistance, resistance. Yeah, which is yeah. which is a great um, arc for him. Like he he is such a he's such a great character in the in the graphic. Yeah, novel. in 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 the movie, he's more of a, a like a cut, mechanism, a, a cut and dry. Yeah. He's not like I wouldn't say he's entirely villainous, but no, yeah, he he plays he's still he plays plausible. he plays the part of of the of the villain sort of in in this movie. At least at the um, beginning, like towards yeah. the end, like he starts to show more of his humanity. Yeah, uh, and then we we sort of see him for you know what he he truly cares about i mean it it comes down to like what he's willing to do to achieve a certain end which is you know he he's willing to do bad things to try to prevent uh, the worst thing the worst thing yeah he's utilitarian yeah sure which uh is is interesting that's one of the things i like about this movie is that the characters all make sense and they all have arcs they all uh they they all exist in the world that uh you know that makes sense <laughs> which is not always the case with a lot of no, anime it's a, or just like <laughs> just book to film adaptations in general yeah. like it I, I see it largely as a feat the fact that like like there's a pretty good amount of discourse over whether the the graphic novel is better than the film because the uh, the film does such a good job condensing all of that material. Like, well, I I'm I'm frankly in the camp that uh, that the film is better. Um, I think that there's a lot of great stuff in the graphic novel that would be cool to be expanded on. Yeah. But I do think that because it's such a, a you know a long form narrative that it does get convoluted towards the end it's true and and i think that the the movie does a much better job of keeping the story tight and concise and concise it gets you know it it definitely delves into some very heady metaphysical ideas but the story itself is is tight and makes sense you know it doesn't it doesn't uh it doesn't break its own logic um, which is the most important thing, and and I think that it does a better job at that than the graphic novel does yeah. in a lot of ways. I think yeah, the, the graphic novel lets you sit in a few more concepts and and mull over some of those details more and fleshes out some of those those ideas. But 
no, overall, like I can, I can definitely see that. I, I enjoy both for very different reasons. Same. Um, Same. Uh, so it's hard for me to choose. Uh, I don't think I could, but I do. God, I, I love both, and it is a fantastic adaptation. Um, one thing I want to talk about with uh, this movie is it kind of falls in kind of my favorite camp of Japanese horror and sci-fi in that they're kind of post World War Two responses to nuclearization in a lot of ways um you get it in you know this movie or like godzilla you know even like haosu in a lot of ways and like i I wanted to talk about that a little bit like ito's stuff yeah yeah um and how this movie kind of plays with the idea of the nuclear bomb and resistance to kind of nuclearization right and how it ends up ultimately being kind of inevitable because i think that there's a lot of really interesting ideas in there i just wanted to unpack them a little bit yeah well one of the things that that i find uh immediately pretty fascinating is that while akira deals with the same kind of, like, destructive force as uh, nuclear explosions, whereas, like, that literal nuclear explosions are, are like, man-made and that they are, you know, like, the an example of, like, man's folly and man's destructive capability, whereas, like, the, the explosions in Akira are the result of, like, the next stage of human evolution, which I think you can you can look at those sort of parallel in, in Akira. It's literally the next stage of human evolution of these people like ascending to become higher beings, you know, capable of breaking the laws of physics and reality. Whereas when we developed the atomic bomb, like that was a very evolution, like a point of, of societal evolution and the evolution of warfare, both equally destructive. But I think that ultimately Akira has a little bit more of a, an optimistic uh, resolution because there is sort of that idea of like ascension and like creating new worlds through the destruction of the old, you know? Yeah, and in some ways I see it as kind of anxiety around Western technology after World War II for Japan in a lot of ways. You know, after being hit by nuclear strikes, it's obvious that you don't want to approach some of those technologies as quickly um, just because you see the power. It's a Pandora's box, you know, that they can create. But ultimately, they, they do bring good nuclear power or you know technology that we take for granted even today mm-hmm. yeah you know? sure so. well it's it's the same idea as change right like technology is neither good nor ill it's both um, it's what you use it for yeah. yeah and and it's the same with just like that that concept of raw power and achieving godhead it, it's a neat comparative and there's there, i think there's a very strong reason for why like all of the ascended beings or all of like the the psychics are children in that is because it's it's trying to say that like humanity wasn't ready for the a bomb, you know, like yeah, like we were, we were we're children, like like handling something far more powerful than what we could understand and comprehend, and so that that's it's, it's that same comparative, and it's it's I think it's why it's so important that we see these see them also as old children 
Yeah. Like, and, and that's, that's why I think that the, I think that's sort of the, the metaphor. Well, and there. that's why I think Tetsuo is so much more destructive than, than the, the old children, because, you know, they are simultaneously much older and younger, you know, than Tetsuo. And they have that understanding of like the responsibility of, preventing destruction you know whereas tetsuo is older and he's more jaded right he's coming into adulthood he's coming into adulthood and he's angry Mm -hmm. so his like all of his will is exerted towards destruction you know he's coming out of childhood into adulthood you know he's there's that loss of innocence and that's because like he's gaining these powers as he's it's sort of like psychic puberty and regular puberty Mm -hmm. whereas like the old the old children were you know they've they were they developed these powers at a very very young age and that they were like tested upon and guided and sort of you know taught to use their powers more responsibly and they and they had they they approached using their powers from a very childlike perspective which uh i i think is is what makes that dynamic interesting as well oh yeah and it it shows in uh shows beautifully too like when they try to early on in the film when they try to communicate with tetsuo like in his dreams and communicate with him psychically and you see these these big like bear like teddy bear amalgams and like weird like yeah children's toys which is one of my favorite sequences in the movie that is nowhere in the graphic novel yeah that's one of the the great things between the two is is that that scene where like the the children come to him as like stuffed animals but then they turn like huge and they and monstrous and grow teeth and claws and shit but continue where where you're going with that well it's cool yeah because like because Tetsuos are sort of projecting his own fears onto them and they start becoming these like horrible creatures yeah. mm-hmm. uh because that's that's all like Tetsuo can do because he's just this, this agent you know he's just this this catalytic agent of rage yeah it, it's great and when he when he just starts like losing it to make an excuse for like Tetsuo's like quick shift they make it clear that like he's he's also like not at his mental fullest like while he's developing these abilities sure, like yeah. he's he's having a psychotic break like he's he's not at his best self at all um so there's there's so much that his brain is being flooded with that his actions are his agency is taken away from himself like because he's he's just so drunk on on the uh this psychic power and he's got these horrible fever headaches and his his forehead is like fucking swelling throughout the film it does it even more in the graphic novel he's got a big old head by the end of it um, well, I mean, even at the beginning, like, dude's got five head, head. for days. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then he just has ten head by the end of it. That, yeah. Uh, one of my other favorite sequences in the film, especially, like, like not just, like, from a visual perspective, but with how they, how they do the audio for it, is when Tetsuo comes back for the first time. And, like I say, he, he escapes from the lab, and he just joins up with his friends and doesn't really want to talk about it. And he has his first, like, psychic, psychotic break. Oh, yeah. And, and he you see the ground crack underneath him, but there's no sound, and he falls to his knees. Well, there's there's no sound for the ground crumbling, but you can hear him breathing. Yeah. So there is still, yeah. Exactly. Like, there's no there's no sound effects for that happening. And and then, like, his his guts just spill out of his chest, and it's it's really intense. It's yeah. super graphic. It's one of my favorite scenes, mm-hmm. too. Yeah. And, and then, too, like, there's no, there's no sound. There's just his friends talking in the background, moving, 
and you have him fall to his knees, but when his guts spill out, there's no sound at all from that effect. And you just see him, like, scrabbling and trying to, like, pull his guts back into him, and it cuts back with him, like, scrabbling, and he's fine. He's still whole. Yeah, he's grabbing um, at nothing. Yeah, and it... it and, he, and we keep getting, like, these these flashes of uh, just, like, writhing flesh, which is sort of uh, uh, foreshadowing what ends up happening to him at the end when he just becomes that, like, giant, cancerous flesh baby. That stuff is great. The body horror in this movie is off oh, the charts. Oh, on points. Yeah, yeah. it's have, so good. Have you guys... Oh, I should have shown it before the podcast. Have y'all ever seen, like, any of Katsuhiro Otomo's, like, paintings and stuff? Or, like, his other... No, his watercolor no. pieces? Mm-hmm. They're so good. They're a huge inspiration for a lot of my character design. I'll have to pull it up at some point. It's, like, Junji Ito with a bit of, like, Cronenberg thrown in there and it's all like technological body horror sort of stuff like the anime equivalent of like tetsuo the bullet man like yeah. it's it's awesome like 10 out of 10 just just google image search like katsuhiro otomo like and his his illustrations like they're really cool like geiger-esque too it's like all my favorite aesthetics just mauled into one like his his watercolors are dope they're really awesome. the body horror though works really well kind of bringing that back to the the nuclear kind of stuff because Absolutely. you know you're it's a kind of loss of self within this kind of other. Well, I mean, whether and, it's technology or energy, and I mean, Japan, power. Japan saw more than its fair share of like literal body horror in the aftermath of the explosions. You know, like the people who didn't die in the explosions. You know, getting radiation sickness and children being born without eyes and deformed and stuff like that, you know, as a result of the atomic bomb and the radiation. Yeah, I think I I saw a lot of those parallels, you know, with sort of the, the body betraying itself and mutating rapidly. That's all cancer is, is it's, uh, you know, uncontrolled cell uh growth and right mutation, right know? and how and, cool is it that like when tetsuo achieves this power when he doesn't understand what to do with it he becomes a cancer right because his his body cannot contain the power that he is developing so it you know just starts replicating and uh and trying to consume you know what it can get its hands on that's some of the stuff that is very very cool in the graphic novel that they don't have time to put into like the the Mm. fucking uh sequence where like off the coast there's like the american fleet with like the aircraft carrier yeah the aircraft carrier is such a cool sequence and like tetsuo like teleports to the aircraft carrier and he starts like absorbing like the aircraft carrier and using it like against the other ships and stuff as like extensions of his body and his body's just like devouring technology it's very dope that is one of the things that i really love in the graphic Mm -hmm. novel that yeah the whole get in the film the whole battleship sequence is just fucking rad like yeah i think playing a little bit like in the live action it's gonna be coming out but uh yeah um and of course one of my favorite little elements of this movie or technological concepts in this film is is the the Giga Satellite Soul. Oh yeah, like like Which the is cool, cool fucking things. Uh, it's it's uh, essentially as I described it. It's a it's a just a massive like like light like railgun like attached laser to a satellite. Yeah, laser yeah. satellite. Like awesome, like awesome concept. Especially because like around that same time in the eighties, you had like 
Reagan with Reagan with like his Star Wars initiative and like yeah. him literally trying to do that. And to a certain extent, we still don't know. Anyway, <laughs> not going down that road. This but, is not the podcast no, no, for not. that. No, it's not the podcast for that. Uh, we're not gonna we're not gonna do that. But um, all theoretical. But yeah, no. Soul Soul's really cool, and we get that the sequence when they try to use it on Tetsuo. Yeah, and and even that you know cannot stop him because it, cool it does it does blow off his arm. But uh, they they do successfully cut off his arm with with it. But yeah, then we get that awesome scene of like him just going up into space, space. and like bringing down the satellite. It's neat too because they just like all they do to show like how he can still breathe in space is there's just like this faint red outline like glow around him. Yeah, he's like generating his own little like. Yeah, well, like, I mean, his, he's like, he is a god at this point. pure like, energy. He don't mm-hmm. he, that dude don't need to breathe. Um, one of the things I do think is funny as a comparison between the the graphic novel in the movie is uh tetsuo's uh iconic caped look yeah um whereas in the graphic novel <laughs> he he like dons that cape as a way to like hide his severed arm you know before he like reconstructs it whereas in this in the movie he's just like walking down the street like, like a destroyed boutique at, getting shot at by tanks and he just like grabs a curtain that's like hanging out uh-huh. of a window and just rips it and like puts it on as a cape which I think is kind of it's it's a little it's a little corny, but it also makes sense because like he's a kid and he's developed these like insane superpowers. Super powers. He, he so see he, himself as Superman, yeah, as like so this like little Ubermensch. Yeah. So yeah, it's great. The tank sequences are awesome. Like that's the thing too is like every one of those those bits. Like I'd I'd be impressed to see like any still of that film drawn out, let alone animated. Like this is one of the few exceptions in in animation where you cannot ever just about ever tell what is cell and what is background everything's moving like and it's it's nuts like the tanks look like they should just be still background images and they're fully rotating and spinning around like his technical perspective is just nuts it's so good i love the tanks and i um, cannot reiterate enough how good this shit all looks in blu-ray mm-hmm, like yes. this is this is setting the new standard like i don't think i ever want to watch this movie again not in blu-ray no well like every other time i've seen it it's been like dvd quality right, and insane. you do lose a lot of those Absolutely. finer details yeah. Like you still you still get like the attention to detail like you you still like get that it is a well animated film but like man do you remember I can't stop gushing over this Blu-ray version what was the deal it's been so long since I've read it what was the deal with like the cool like orb tanks in the graphic novel. Oh, those oh, things yeah. were really cool. Like, yeah, they're not in the they're not in the movie at all. Yeah, yeah the, because they're really neat. They're they're fully automated, and they're uh, they were built uh, in order to be able to uh, maintain law and order in the event of a nuclear disaster yeah. where where humans couldn't be on the surface because of the radiation. So they have these like spherical tanks with like little wheels that are just like rolling all over the city yeah they're super cool like these like gyro ed 209s like fucking yeah. spinning around yeah. like they're great yeah they're, god fun. i'm gonna go back and read it like i i need to it, it's it, it's so much fun yeah no i i really enjoyed my my read through mm-hmm. um one thing uh one last comparison that i do want to talk about and it's one of the things that i i think that this movie does better than the graphic novel is about who and what akira is in the graphic novel, they take a very literal approach. Like, they awaken Akira early, early in the graphic novel. He's just like a kid. 
You know, he's just like a little a little kid who doesn't talk, but is like the most powerful being in the universe. And what co- essentially causes these explosions is like when he gets upset. You know, like a child throwing a temper tantrum, which you know is, is fun. And then you know uh, after the after the disaster and the post apocalypse, like Akira is like this child king who's not ruling at all. You know, like Tetsuo is his proxy, but like all of these people rally around their you know their god godly child mm-hmm. uh, Akira which is great too which is Tetsuo already like has like a, a shadow complex where like he was always like underneath Kaneda's shadow and even now that he's become a set like essentially a, like a superman like he's still under someone's shadow it's great like I love it I love that the political dynamic uh, of of all of that yeah I mean I mean it's it's cool and it's developed well in the graphic novel but what I like so much about the movie is that like Akira is much more of an abstract concept yeah, than yeah. like a literal character and it works so well like you still have it's like it's a child who is you know part of this government mk ultra kind of experiment you know to develop these latent psychic abilities but the idea of akira is much more abstract you know there we get this whole discussion about like akira's power exists in all of us but not everybody is like able to tune into it and that like Akira draws his power from everybody else and in in the film too like when they when they break into like the uh the like cryo cell where they have been storing Akira um instead of just being like the kid in there you know he's dead they have all of his organs in in like separate jars separate jars and stuff from aldehyde um that you know Tetsuo takes and uh you know is trying to study and absorb the power from and whatever. And I, I like that. I like that much better because the idea of Akira and Tetsuo is like the next stage of human evolution, you know, as, as higher ascended beings, it would make sense that they would be so far evolved that we can't really understand them, that they be, that they become more of a concept than a concrete thing. You know, it's like, it's like the the tadpoles that humans evolved for trying to understand what humans are. I think that I think that that in that way the film does a much 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 better job. I like Akira as more of like a metaphysical idea mm. than as like a literal child god. You know, they both have their merits, but I, I think it's it's much more poignant. In this it movie. leaves a little well, more to think about. It does well because the twist is sort of reversed. Like it's. What is this God thing we keep talking about? Oh, the twist is it's a child. Whereas in the graphic novel, it's sort of the opposite. It's this child God. And well, yeah. And also in the, in the graphic novel, like they talk about Akira a lot, but they don't hint at like his power or really at all. You know, it's like they keep mentioning Akira and it's like, we see this like big underground cryo chamber where he's being kept. So we understand that he's significant, but then even the first time we see him, it's not like there's not that understanding of like what he you know it's just like a kid that we then see can make like nuclear explosions and and even so you don't get an idea of what Akira really means until the end of the graphic novel which is at that point like 25 issues later mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> <laughs> so i i think that i think that having that reveal at the end of the movie 
you know, where, like, the the pieces all do come back together and we just see, like, oh, Akira is a child. A very buff child. <laughs> I noticed that, <laughs> that on this watch. A very, a very ripped child. Um, and, you know, we only see him for, like, a second. And, you know, like, then he and Tetsuo kind of, like, fuse and ascend and, you know, go beyond to whatever. We don't really understand what that is. I think that that's a, a much... A much better uh, bodies of light, right? And it, it's a more satisfying conclusion too, to then like see that once again, thirty years after uh, uh, an Akira explosion destroyed Tokyo, you know, it's happened again, and it's kind of you know, it's our fault as as humans again, you know, and and leaving leaving you to think on like, well, we have in a way ascended, but at the same time we're repeating the same mistakes Loop. over and over again, you know? Yeah. One last thing I want to talk about is uh, next year, uh, the Summer Olympics are happening in Tokyo. Oh, are they? Yeah, which I find really prescient because this movie yeah. is set in 2019 and one of the big plot points is, is that all the about... 2020 olympics are going to happen in tokyo yeah and they're building the stadium the for olympic it. stadium oh man this is because they uh the the throne that uh like tetsuo sits on like in both the film and graphic novel like the iconic throne is yeah. is for the olympics so you have the olympic symbol like over him which is great because yeah. he's an olympian like it's, oh, it's well yeah it's and great... i mean in the, in the graphic novel like the olympic arena is like ground zero Zero. of the explosion and you've got like it creates this lake in the middle of tokyo and rising out of the lake is like the ruins of the the olympic stadium which is where tetsuo and akira like make their their base that's really cool i did not know that the that the olympics were happening in tokyo next year i I hope i hope they have some sort of callback shout out in their opening ceremony but we will see they could figure out a way to do some sort of nod to Akira, and it would, yeah. and, and it would, yeah, and it would make, is, and it would make sense. Yeah, it's like the big progenitor of animated yeah. films, like in well, Japan. it was the the highest budget anime anime movie of all time at that point. So yeah, I wonder what what sure. what unseated it. I would I would like I wonder what. Uh, was next film. I think it was Spirited Away. Oh, that would make sense. Yeah, it would be a, a Studio believe, Ghibli film. Yeah. yeah. If it wasn't Spirited Away, it was almost certainly a Studio Ghibli film. It mm-hmm. would have been Spirited Away or Princess Mononoke or something. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe it was Spirited Away, though. Um, yeah. Don't quote me on that. Yeah, do y'all want to rate this? Do you um, have anything else you want to talk about? Uh, I do have something else I want to talk about, but after we rate, uh, we did also watch um, uh, another of uh, uh, Katsuhiro Otomo's works, uh, which oh, yeah. was... Uh, construction cancellation order, but we'll talk about that after we rate. We rate. Sure, we can talk about that briefly. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we don't have much to say, I think, but it, it does have some cool. Yeah, I'll things. I'll start. Uh, I think you probably know from listening mm-hmm. to us talk about it. Like this is a a, a really well liked film uh, among us, and uh, I love this movie. And it was really fascinating to see it in the Blu-ray, and it looks so good with that actually good english dub uh it was it was a great experience i think the last time i watched this i was either a little too stoned or too stupid to appreciate a lot of the things about the movie that uh that i got from this watch and maybe you know 
comparing it to the graphic novel gave me some of that as well. Um, ultimately, you know, I, I have I have uh, very few gripes with this movie, all very minor stuff. It's going to be a very strong four and a half out of five for me. It's a five out of five for me. I adore this film. It's it's one of my tops. It's one of my best of all time. Like, uh, yeah, five out of five. I love I love this movie. No surprise there. No, yeah. yeah. The more I've seen it, the more I've come to appreciate the story in a lot of ways. I think seeing a better dub of it really helped Helps, a lot. Yeah. Also, like, it's, it's a lot to take in on just, like, a first watch, you mm-hmm. know? Like, I, I definitely think that that there there is great merit to watching it multiple times and, like, trying to get different perspectives yeah, and stuff on yeah. it. Yeah, uh, yeah. I do still have some very minor gripes, but overall it is still an incredible movie and a technical accomplishment for no sure kidding. so i'm gonna give it a strong four and a half as well hell yeah well that's a, a powerful 4.7 out of five pods for akira um if you haven't seen it and you like anime like geez check it out for sure um i will say absolutely try to get your hands on the blu-ray version it the, the difference is noticeable and 100 percent worth staggering 100 percent worth it and if you're gonna watch a dub make 100 percent sure that it is the 2001 english dub not the one from the 90s because fuck that one otherwise just watch it in japanese <laughs> with the subtitles yeah. um hell yeah uh, yeah, Cleve. Well, um, let's talk a little bit briefly about uh, construction cancellation construction order. Construction cancellation order. So uh, it is a short that is uh, one of three films that are, uh, or sorry, one of three shorts that compile the film Neo Tokyo. Uh, Otomo did an, a couple of other shorts. Uh, I think it's Robot Carnival and uh, a few more, and I, I forget their names. But I, I thought it'd be fun for us uh, to to watch it really quickly before we we watched Akira to see some of his his other work. Um, and some of those other, like, high-concept ideas. The the premise uh, is, uh, well, it's not straightforward per se, it's probably high-concept, but it's fairly minimal. A foreman is sent to this uh, fully automated, self-constructing island because uh, the company that instigated it has um, tried to cancel the production, but the robots keep building anyway, and no one knows why. So this guy's sent in to try and stop the construction, once again, it runs along some similar themes mm-hmm. as, uh, like, Otomo's other works, like, you know, considering, like, runaway technology and, yeah, you know, totally. what uh, can happen. It's just cool because in this case, like, it's it's exclusively around these robots that just want to continue to to build un- until they, they cannot anymore. They just wish to exist, even if it means their own their own end. And I, I, I do love that, like, this, like seeing the city, like, destroy yeah, itself well, as it's building being, itself. Being on a deadline, so the robot foreman keeps, like, working the other robots, like, over time. And, and faster, so they're, <laughs> they, they keep, you know, breaking and destroying themselves in parts of the city. But it's like, uh, uh, you know, the deadline's coming up, so that means we have to work even harder. <laughs> and Meanwhile, the like, foreman is like, no, there's no deadline. It's over. Like, stop. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's very much an Ouroboros. Yeah. Um, Technology just devouring itself. Um, they, they work like they're making a AAA video game or something. <laughs> um, but no, the thing I really liked about this one is uh, it was much lighter in tone and more comedic. Yes. Like the 
thematically it's still yeah, especially very initially dark, yeah but, it, it takes you know? a dark turn towards the end but yeah for, like the setup is a lot lighter it's it's definitely a little campier like the the robot foreman is a very goofy character you know he's got a little hard hat on and he's just he's, i love his design he has a wire so much like he's he's directly plugged into a power source somewhere but it's just like this insanely long cord that allows him to get anywhere he needs to in the city um which i i think is a really fun design Mm -hmm. weirdly this movie made me extremely anxious or the short film oh yeah anxious which i think is like probably part of the intention mm-hmm. but like i was just watching this and like watching the series of events and it's like the definition of insanity you know doing the same thing expecting a different result and uh it felt like i was going crazy a little bit like it was just like really kicking in like my my anxiety <laughs> yeah this film <laughs> in kind of an un- in kind of an unpleasant way but i think that speaks well of like how how well paced it is and the animation is still really great oh it's out of this world yeah like just to talk a little bit more because i just i just want to like break down like the 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 foreman's des- like the robot foreman's design because like he's, he's so cool like the the fact that like he some, seems to have like some sort of like like a gasoline power source uh because he's like he's constantly backfiring um yeah like a like, like an old muffler yeah and uh, like out of his hips so he's just like and he's like being run by like his chest is basically just a generator, so he's constantly like shaking and quivering, and it looks like he has like cerebral palsy. When it gets um, worse and worse, worse over the course of the film, like his movement gets more and more jittery and ineffective. And you're just waiting for like him to just fall apart, like at any moment. And it, it's it it helps with the t- it, it's a wonderful uh, tension builder. Um, the they lock the the foreman the the human foreman. Uh, uh, away in his room and the the robot foreman keeps bringing him like his meal and progressively the meal starts to become more and more just robotic parts and components <laughs> i did think yeah. that was really and, funny uh, by the end it's just like a tray full of like gears and oil yeah. and, and there's even like a little robot shit. like crawling around like yeah. on the tray i thought that was really yeah. clever and it starts out with just him like finding like a nut like in his food you know right. like just like a like just a screw or no, something. That was, that's really great. Like every time he wakes up in the morning, they play like the same like uh, the same classical music track like over and over. By the end of it, the the city when it, the city really begins to just devour itself. We have the main character just like trapped in this room, looking out. You you have these awesome shots of like all these like dead foremen, like another like these other dead foremen robots and other construction workers and. It, it goes, like, it does, like, a full night and day cycle with them, and they're, they're glowing eyes at night, and then daylight comes again, and the water's flowing around them, and it just looks so Yeah, the city so is good. flooding. That's another thing I liked, is I, I love the setting of, of this short, too. It's, it's, like, the company has been contracted to build this city in some, what I assume is, like... Uh, South American country. I think it says it it's is, like yeah. It's like in the jungle. It's a made-up country, but mm-hmm. it seems to be it's South a, American. Yeah. Um, and that uh, the reason the order has been canceled is because there's been a coup in the government. Yeah. And the the new government is like, no, we don't want this anymore. Like, cancel building the city. Um, but it's the rainy season. So, like, it's just raining constantly and just, like, the waters keep rising. And as the city is 
tearing itself apart it's also flooding yeah and you get these wonderful shots too of like the construction robots like attached to a uh like a bulldozer just like driving into the water because it just it, it doesn't or care the one it where has there's, one purpose there's one that's like trying to stop like dam the flood of water and it just keeps trying to like force a wall into place and the wall just like keeps breaking yeah and the water keeps coming through like visually it's it's really excellent mm-hmm. um yeah it, it's it's great it's a, a a really good example of like taking a very simple narratively simple premise but you know with some more high concept ideas yeah. and uh and you know giving it like the perfect runtime mm-hmm. about what 15 minutes or yeah. so yeah right there 15 20 yeah. minutes um, um i love the idea of modernization but at what cost right this, this and and like reaching the level of automation to the point that even your sit like building cities is completely automated love that super cool i, I think you know and it's 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 poignant for the time we live in too where more and more stuff is being automated and it's like you know there's i it's important to think that there there can definitely be some danger associated with automation i mean that's that's the beauty of like otomo's work in general and like really good like hard science fiction like when when the science is good and the concepts are good it only becomes more relevant over time well yeah like, that's the Akira thing set in 2019 but like it it will still be poignant and relevant like for as long as there are people and that's like, and that's the thing about like good sci-fi is it usually has a, a fair amount of of foresight you know you mm-hmm. can look at at things in the modern world and look back at things like fucking 1984 and brave new world and be like they predicted it it's like well i mean they just had an understanding of like science and technology and like the advancement of human civilization most of most of Verne's concepts like were made in his lifetime yeah like the submarine etc like all all of those things were 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 created um whereas like wells for instance like we we still don't have like heat rays and or time machines (laughs) but well reagan etc no um so to conclude uh on unless y'all had any other points yeah. uh the to conclude the narrative uh the main character escapes and he just we see him like riding a cable like just trying to get to the center of of this this mass and find how the computer to, brain or whatever yeah to shut it down and we just see him sliding down a cable and then it just tracks up to this this massive robot skyscraper beast with all these big cables and this massive sentient thing and it fades out like we and we recognize like that he's not going to be able to do anything like we know it's also also what i like my favorite part about the ending is as he's leaving we hear the like radio in his room come on from like the company headquarters and they're like hey the government has retaken control like the the order is back on don't cancel the construction (laughs) that's right like don't don't cancel we're on we got to make it by the deadline like at this point the city is in complete shambles and like the the dude is going to try to uh destroy the the brain running everything yeah. so love that love that uh that little note of futility there at the end it's oh, always fun twist of fate hell yeah, yeah. Uh, ultimo's so good at like setting up those like those little like micro apocalypses yeah. like these little scenarios where like there's a there's a post-apocalyptic event going on but just right there you right. know it's like not, it's not a global not situation yeah. like and that's the cool thing like about akira too like like the, the apocalypse is only going on in like in tokyo like and no one else can get in and so like, right. it's 
super fun like uh that like the rest of the world is still operating fine um and it, it gives you a cool window to view it and and to me it also feels more believable it's not saying like a mad max scenario where the entire world is fucked it's just this one spot and we just zero in on like those personal stories and events well i mean like that's the thing is like mad max is real it's taking place in lots of parts of the world right now you know yeah, like you know yeah like that's the thing it's like apocalypse is is almost never on like a large scale mad max is a real thing in a lot of parts of africa the fact that we look around at like what we're living in in the first world and it's like we don't even think about that kind of shit no you know? yeah, we, yeah. we so so much of like our culture is based on thinking about apocalypse from from a like a worldwide perspective the apocalypse and it's just probably, hasn't hit your neighborhood yet and the, and yeah. the, and like the thing is that realistically like being a part of a first world country if you know if we do experience apocalypse at that point it probably is worldwide i mean which we, is unfortunate because like we can in we can, a way we do see some of that with climate catastrophes absolutely. as of late you know Having the whole West Coast burning to the ground. Yeah, you know, seriously. Hurricanes, floods. Polar vortexes in the Midwest. It's, uh, yeah, climate change is real. And if you don't think so, then don't add us. <laughs> Which brings us to our sponsor. This episode was brought to you by uh, Dembley's Denial Buds. Tired of hearing about how shitty the <laughs> shitty direction the world is going in? Put in Dembley's Denial Buds. You'll never have to worry about all the things that are definitely real ever again. Dembley's Denial Buds. Did it say how much they they went for? I, I, I sorry, I can't hear you. What was that? How 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 much did they cost? It is a really nice day, isn't it? Yeah. When I put in my Dimbley's denial buds, anytime anybody tries to tell me anything bad about, like, the environment or the state of our government, Dimbley's denial buds just tell me how big my penis is. Thanks, Dimbley's. Did you say the bit? I can't hear you with these buds in. Did we do it? I think we did it. We did it. Did we do it? No. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> All right. That'll bring us to the end of this episode. Thank you, as always, for listening. Next week, we're going to be talking about uh, Return of the Living Dead, uh, which is your pick, Ben? Uh, we have just... a special guest we will... next week. Well, hopefully so... we'll have a special guest. I'm not going to make promises I can't keep. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, tune in next week for a different kind of apocalypse. Uh, it's Zambies. Every, everybody's favorite Zambie apocalypse. I'm excited. I've actually never seen Return Ooh, of the Living Dead. you guys are all in the way for through. a treat. I've seen a lot of clips from the film, like some of the more famous scenes, but I've never seen the film all the way through. You guys are in for a treat. So it's very, one of my favorite zombie movies. I'm very, very excited. Well, if you like the show, hit the five stars on Apple Podcasts pew, pew, pew. or wherever else you get. Pew, pew. I gotta add two more. Um, pew. Well, that's six stars, Cleveland. That do that metric doesn't even exist. Hey, if you can do it, though, do it. If you can dream it, then you can do it. Yeah, this is a five star podcast. This is a, five, uh, hit hit those hit those five stars on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you get your podcasts. If it has the option to give us six stars, then do that. Um, leave us a nice review too. You can uh, follow us on Twitter at PodPeoplePod. Um, you can follow us on Letterboxd uh, at letterboxd.com slash PodPeoplePod. 
see the list of all the films we've talked about on the show, our average ratings, links to those episodes, all of that uh, that goodness. Um, as we mentioned last week, which we'll probably still be plugging for a little while, uh, we have released our prologue for It Stares Back. Yes, we For have. the game we've been working on for two years. It is 100% totally free. All you have to do is join our Discord which uh, can be found through our website at uh, lightarcstudio.com. Sign up for the Discord, join us, come talk to us, and uh, when you join the Discord, you will automatically be sent a link to download the game. Three-plus hours of content for free! Oh, yeah. yeah. And if you're having trouble finding it, just Google It Stares Back. Yeah, our SEO is good. Yeah, you should. It'll 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 find us. Uh, Can they find it through Twitter? Is, do posted. we have a link to the Discord on the Twitter um, account? We should. We, we will. <laughs> we, when this episode goes up, we I'm will. I'm pretty sure we do. I'm um, pretty sure we do. If, if we um, don't already. It really so, is like our pinned messages is like the trailer and stuff. But, yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, you can – there there are a lot of different ways you can you can get to the game. But uh, we would we really love it if you would, uh, if you would play it and uh, let us know what you think. Yeah. And on top of that, too, we've also started live streaming. Um, yeah, uh, we're like, doing some Twitch streams. Just, just today I finished up uh, my first uh, character painting done via live stream. Uh, it's pretty cool. It's a spooky moth, man. So if you want to see updates on that, just track our Twitter. Uh, Light our studio and uh, our Discord as well, and you can yeah. see all the, and we also, the cool art um, being painted in real time. And I did uh, just did a blind playthrough of Pony Island um, on on uh, Twitch as well. So uh, our our Twitch name is Light Arc Studio as well, right? Uh, just Light Arc. Just Light Arc. Okay. L i g h t a r c. Yeah, check us out on Twitch, uh, and you know we announce our streams and stuff on the Discord. So join the Discord. Yay. Um, you know you can follow me on Twitter at Mr Van Awesome. All that. Yeah, stuff. I'm at Mr Sheets. The the Light Arc Twitter is at Light Arc Studio. Cleveland tweets for that. Yep. Um, you can also find my work on ArtStation under uh, Cleveland Mosier or Iron Prism. And look at all that cool art. Hell yeah. Well, thanks for listening. Tune in next week for the return of the living dead. And uh, until next time, Tetsuo! 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 Tetsuo!